quotes any spongebob episode chocolate entrepreneur episode go mean chocolate no longer hang keep that for 20 bucks i'll take 10 what up mi gente it's vero fuerte yo the for americano aka mexican natsu and we're here to help you navigate the world as two hispanics latinos latinx brown people what are we again well, that's what we're here to discover on the In Living Spanish podcast. Each week, you'll listen in on two millennial minorities chop it up on what it means to navigate both cultures on and off the internet. Along with the latest in music, movies, and more. Here, here on, on the, the In Living, Living Spanglish, Spanglish podcast. podcast. It is Vero Fuerte coming at you back with another episode of In Living Spanglish. Now, if you just wondered what the heck I just said, it is que lo que. That's actually a Dominican phrase that I learned earlier this week because I am currently trying to teach myself Spanish. Along with myself, I have my fabulous co-host, Ricardo Mexicano. Say what's up to the people, Ricardo. First of all, don't refer to me as fabulous ever again. And secondly, you're learning Spanish, like a very like high level of Spanish. I think she's chill off on the Dominican Spanish for now. No. Okay, so I'm trying to learn colloquialisms from all of our brothers and sisters in different countries right now. Yes, we are both Mexican. Yes, uh, we both did originate from uh, Latin American countries, but I did grow up speaking Spanish. I lost a lot of that Spanish just being assimilated in America and, you know, going through like an English public school system. And I'm currently a 27 year old trying to, you know, relearn some of our mother language definitely uh dominican has been like fun to play around with ricardo so yeah i'm just messing around with that it's been a lot of fun yeah that's good i'm just saying don't stray too far away with all the other dialects yeah you're gonna, i'm just you, trying to be one with the world ricardo you're gonna, okay i'm trying to like michael jackson it up okay like hold hands and sing kumbaya all that good stuff but within the latin community tu sabes like don't matter if you're black or white yeah Michael yeah Jackson, yeah yeah, like yeah. we all we all brown in the middle it's okay like, like dangerous era yeah but i wanted to go ahead and say feliz cumpleaños to these uh, latinx's hermanos y hermanas so happy birthday this week to don um Omar. So uh, he is very prominent in the reggaeton community. Also, happy birthday uh, to Aaron Sanchez. He was born this week on February 12th. Happy birthday also to Stephanie Beatriz. Who was she again? I think that she was the wife, right, of uh, Pablo Escobar. And also, happy, happy birthday. Feliz cumpleaños to Carol G. Uh, also, in Stephanie, with Stephanie Beatriz, uh, just so you guys know, she was also part of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Modern Family, and BoJack Horseman. So, uh, if we had a sound effect right now where we could play Las Mañanitas or something like that, this is where we would put that in. Wait, did you say Stephanie Beatriz with an Arcos? Um, no. Oh, sorry. That was Paulina Gishon. Yeah, yeah okay. I was about to say. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. So, obviously, you know, the alcohol's hitting me a little, and I can't, like, read my notes straight. So, that's my bad. Don't, that's be, don't, be, don't be admitted to stuff. Okay, this is a PG-13 show, okay, you guys? We're not doing anything nefarious. And if we are, it's responsibly. Yes, yes, yes. We're both inside, because we're actually being snowed in in Texas, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of crazy right, so right now. The, the world's ending as we speak. Yeah, well. uh, on the streets of uh of Texas. So at the same time, it is very dangerous. So people, please stay inside and you know just you know cozy up, be on the couch with your loved one because because today is Valentine's Day. 
And if you have a significant other, you see, your boy just can't, I'm just good with the segues like that. It ain't nothing to segue into a nice little topic as Valentine's Day, as the season has approached, as the reason for love is in the air. Whether you think this is a corporate machine invented by Hallmark to sell gift cards and other um, assortments, you're probably right. And if you just think it's a nice way to, to cherish your significant other, you're right as you're well. You're right as well. Yeah. So happy Valentine's Day to everybody. You know, sending out all the love. Shout out to all the G's locked up. You know, people who haven't seen their wives in like, I don't know how many years. You know, we people love who you. People want to take photo shoots with their air fryers. You people, know, that goes too. Weirdos you know? like that. Yeah. All like, love is love is love. love okay. Yeah. Even if it's between a woman in a red dress and her air fryer. Not talking yeah. about anyone specifically. Whoever just that talking is. in very vague terms. I, I wish them nothing but happiness. Whoever that lonely person is. Yeah. 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 yeah for sure. For sure. So happy Valentine's Day, everyone. And happy Snow Day, Tejas. Yeah. Uh, with all of that being said, another reason to celebrate today is that it's February 14th, also known as the Life of Pablo anniversary. T-Lop. Yes. I, li- I like saying T-Lop. Yes. So today is the, what is it, like the five-year anniversary? Because it came out in 2016, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Kanye West's album, Life of Pablo, came out five years ago to this day. And uh, we've been actually seeing it a lot of it on uh, Twitter. What did you say your favorite track was from the album, Ricardo? Uh, no more part of in L.A. No more part. You know what? And that actually kind of surprised me. I did not expect you to say that. Why? I don't know. You just never really mentioned it before. Mine has to be like a three-way tie between FML because I'm moody and emo like that. But you don't like the you don't like the weekend like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like your soak on there? Yeah, I do. I do. FML, Thirty Hours, and and Famous. But I really like only uh, see like and here's the th- funny thing about Famous is that as I've gotten older, as the years gone by, I really do have a problem with the word that he and a lot of rappers use very openly. You know, the B word in regards to females and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the ending part of that song is just too, like, just slaps too hard, you know, and it gets me way too hyped. And you take that for what it is, but it's still one of my favorite songs on the album. Like, I love it to death. No, I I mean, I love I love that song as well, too. You know, from the from the bar that Ye's spitting, the beat is crazy. The drums by Havoc are ridiculous. Mm. Uh, Swiss beats, swimming on the track, you know, usually... You can't I, go wrong. Usually, I don't know. I'm about to say, I don't really don't like Swiss Beats screaming on the track. Really? But this one is one of the few where I don't really mind it because I think it does complement the track really well. I like Swiss Beats production. Don't get me wrong. It's just when he's when he's screaming Showtime and all that on the, on the track, it kind of gets a little bit old for me. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the DJ Khaled thing that mm-hmm, and exactly. that unit. I love Famous, but yeah, no more parties in LA. I mean, like if you if you know like like what it that what is behind that song, you kind of understand why I love it. I mean, for people who don't know, like, I'm a very, um, I'm, I'm a head, you know, I'm a hip-hop head. So, like, No More Part of the L.A., you know, that's an old, old beat that I think originally was made for Freddie Gibbs. He eventually, it found his way to, to Kanye, you know, Ye asked Kendra to hop on the track, and they went stupid, you know, they went dumb on it. You mm-hmm. know, like, like Kendrick is, 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 is rapping, you know, phenomenally. Kanye is going on for, like, 800 bars, it seems like. Madlib, uh, the way he chopped the beat is pretty simple if you know production and you know chopping, but it, the way he did it is like no other because you know it's Madlib at the end of the day. Sometimes less is more, especially the way that he does it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, there's, there's still a debate, you know, on the uh, on, t- on the internet, like about like did did Kanye wash Kendrick? Did Kendrick uh, have a shorter but better verse? You know that that, that debate is kind of still going on to this day. Uh, I'm more k- team Kendrick. 
because I think just his flow and his versatility with with his with his verse, even though it was shorter, was way better than Kanye. Where... Yeah, because again, it's again, it's that whole thing of like less is more. Sometimes it's that when you have a shorter verse, you have uh you have a chance to like pull out punchier lines, you know. And I feel like that was Kendrick's advantage in that verse. Yeah, yeah, but but Kanye went went dumb regardless. Like yeah. you know, those verses that he was throwing out was was insane. Uh, you know, especially I mean, and, and his uh, like I would say. Kanye verses stand out more. They're more quotable. Like, I feel like Pablo when I'm working on my shoes. You know, all that at the, at the very end of the song. You know, even my cousin who saw my laptop, you dirty, you know, you know, all that. Bro, when he talks about that, like, I go insane, you know? And th- that's one thing that's always, like, impressed me about Kanye is that, like, he has almost no shame about putting himself completely out there you know and even like his dirty laundry and everything like that that's why like when i think about everything that he's going right now currently through with kim and all of that like it it makes me such it makes me feel like a cold-hearted person that one of the first things i thought of was oh my gosh we're gonna get such a sick album out of this but also we have to worry about his mental health and all of that of course and and you and i like one of the people that we talk about the most on this podcast is that we try to vary it up but it's no secret that we really really admire people like kanye and that's because again he's one of those artists that for better for worse whether you agree with his uh personal stances or or his uh, personality outside of the music or not, is that he leaves it all on the table, you know? And he leaves it up to you to interpret. And uh, I just, I always know what I'm going to get with him. And that's one of the reasons that I trust him as an artist. Yeah, like you said, you, you're you strong enough, or maybe not strong, but maybe you're you're just willing to let people peel, peel behind that curtain and let mm-hmm. them see that that side of you that you know it's not always you know it's not perfect it's yeah. not like pr'd all the way through <laughs> taylor swift <clears throat> yeah yeah so like it's it's like a lot of like you know sinus coughing and stuff like that yeah so, yeah yeah so, you know. <laughs> so happy anniversary happy life of pablo anniversary ricardo i know that you were watching a youtube uh, video earlier this week that actually got us into a pretty heated uh discussion about regionalism what it's like to be from, I guess the phrase is ni de aquí ni de allá, uh, meaning that what it's like to be Mexican American or what what it's like to be African American or like if you and I go down to like the depths of Mexico like today, like especially me, come on, let's be real, if we would get ousted as obvious outsiders like immediately. Yeah, I was just watching a um a MC Magic interview. I think the the thing that stood out to me the most about their interview. And I don't know if you caught it. I don't know if you were listening to the, when it got to that part. But it, he was talking about how a lot of times when it comes to, like, people who have immigrated to the United States, you know, who have come from, like, a different uh, ethnic background, uh, they usually tend to, like, almost assimilate, you know? Mm. Like, I'm Indian-American. I'm Asian-American. Yeah. I'm, you put you the know. hyphen in the middle. Right, exactly. Yeah. But he, he, he pointed out how, like, a lot of, like, Hispanics especially just own it. Like, no, I'm Mexican. Yeah. Just that's it. I'm mm-hmm. Mexican. Oh, or I'm Salvadorian, you know, I'm Colombian. Like there's mm-hmm. no, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. Like there's no hyphen. There's, there's, I'm, I'm just as Colombian as the guy who was born there. But he made the, the distinction that if, if, you know, like you said, if I were to go to, you know, go to Nayarit. The motherland. Yeah. Like where my family's from. Go If I go to Guerrero, like, yeah, it may take a little bit to like figure it out. You know, for somebody who's never met me, but they'll probably originally, they'll probably eventually, 
start to like kind of put together like you're not really from here are you mm-hmm. well and i was about to say if they're not like afraid to speak their mind they might even say not and not even in a mean way they might just kind of like just joke with you be like oh you're a you're a gringo you know you're an american mm-hmm. you know you're not one of us ni de aquí, ni de allá. yeah yeah so it, it, it then it creates this very interesting dynamic that a lot i think a lot of people and, and this is not just for mexicans you know I've seen, you know, things portrayed in the media, kind of like Crazy Rich, Crazy Rich Asians is a very good example where, you know, she gets together with with uh, with Henry, who's who's uh, part of this very rich, well-to-do family, mm-hmm. and it, she comes originally at, from Japan, right? Oh uh, no, 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 from China. From China, yeah. But they yeah, immigrated yeah, to Sing- they immigrated to Singapore. Yes. You know, all this conflict starts happening with Henry's mom towards Rachel, pretty much saying like, hey. Like, no matter how much you love our son, you're not one of us. You're not going to be married into the family, more or less, is what the whole thing about the the whole theme of the movie is. Like, you can never be one of us, no matter how much you try. Because you're not Chinese, you're Mm Chinese-American. And the mom tries to make a very distinctive difference between that. It's like, you're always going to be an outsider. You think you belong with us just because your face looks like us. But there's a part of you that will never completely belong here. Exactly. As Mexican-Americans, we tend to take such pride in our roots. There was another point that they made in that YouTube video that we were watching, and they had said that if we were all blind, would there still be racism the way that, you know, we think of regionalism? I think, personally, the answer is yes. If we were all blind, there would still be some sense of... Because here's the thing about communities, and here's the thing about the world at large, is that we as human beings, will find any excuse to divide and clan up, to divide and classify. You know, that's why there's such a thing as, like, classism and capitalism and and, and racism and things like that, because we love to belong to, like, one specific subgroup. So if we were all blind in this hypothetical scenario, what we would probably end up doing would be, like, the low voices and the high voices, things like that, you know? Yeah, or even, like, by touch. Like, like they feel like your hand and be like oh you have very very soft skin or you have rough skin so you don't belong with us yeah yeah you know? yeah it feels like we're writing like the script for a dystopian movie right now exactly yeah because you know when you're blind your your touch sense is very heightened mm-hmm. so you know you touch something and you're like hmm this doesn't feel right you know so it's like you're touching somebody and you're like oh i can tell you have a lot of acne <laughs> no but but no but i'm serious i'm serious like and just like imagine and what would end up happening is that like you and i would be like arch enemies you know we would be like the sharks and the jets you know because you have like a very 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 deep voice and you know i have like a higher register maybe but but even then with that you may have a certain part of the world where a high voice like yours is more appreciated than a low 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 voice than mine exactly you know i think of the uh the fairly odd parents you know when everybody was a great blob and then like everybody Mm -hmm. just starts immediately being like we're all the same but no then people start making the distinction like no i'm grayer than you exactly exactly we're always gonna find some way to like divide and try to conquer and like that's the really ironic thing about it is that even if there wasn't racism even if there wasn't like a very distinct and very valid cultural divide between mexicans between asians between you know uh black people between white people we would still find a way to uh see the differences within us and like that's the crazy thing about it uh do you think there is a true latin community as in, there's just a one unified force, you know, you know, raza, you know, there is the, the raza, you know, people love using that word. I mean, and I've always used that word, I've always heard that word more associated with Mexican, like the Mexican race, you know, la raza. But mm-hmm. of course, you know, people all throughout Latin America use it. But so do you think there is a so-called Latin community or is that more like a, 
a fantasal kind of concept that we kind of conjure up in our mind to try to create this sense of unity. I think that there is a sense of unity. I don't think that being Latinos Americanos is a monolith. And what we mean by that is, yes, we are Latinos in the sense of like we all come from very similar backgrounds. But the funny thing is, is that we come from a lot of different political backgrounds as well, because there's a lot of whether we like to admit it or not, there's a lot of Latinos out there that are very, very conservative, that are very, very Republican, that are very, very, you know, pick themselves up because whether it's for the fiscal reasons or not, you know, that are very, you know, pick themselves from the boot, from the bootstraps, you know, and, you know, uh, my grandfather or I built this from the ground up, you know, like support small businesses for the fiscal reasons that they're conservatives that voted for Trump. And that voted for uh, Republicans despite the concerns and despite the interests of, of what's going on, you know, on the borders right now with the wall, y todo eso, and this, that, and the other. For that being said is that I feel like there are way too many countries, Puerto Rican, Brazilian, Mexican, everything like for us all to be put under one umbrella. And so, no, I don't believe that there is one true Latin community. I feel like there's a lot of communities within our whole community. Yeah. I mean, I, I will venture to say, and I think I've told you this like off, off the air, where I think the Latin, Ameri Latin American diaspora uh, is probably like the most complex and unique. Diversified. Diverse thing in the world. Because yeah. you got to think about it. I mean, this is like basic stuff, like, you know, the Columbus stuff and all that. And, the uh -huh. you know, tra from the transatlantic slave trade to like just the, the colonization of, you know, the Americas, it is a huge turning point in the in the history of the world and like i said i think probably the biggest you know in my opinion that has ever happened when it came to like the destruction of like empires out here to like the mixing of native american and european and africans into like this this true melting pot of like these people who for hundreds and hundreds of years don't really know who we are and who we really came from, you know, like, like you a can, good, you can, a majority of our ancestors were like raped and pillaged. And uh, so like we're mixed and matched with just about everybody. Like we're part of us are like straight from like Africa mixed with Spaniards, mixed with everything else. It's like we are literal mutts, you know, the, the Latin community, you know, into to pretend that we're not and to pretend that we're any less complex that we are is completely and utterly wrong that's why that whole thing that happened in 2020 when everybody tried to blame you know like trump's ascension uh for his re-election on us pissed me the hell off you know because you cannot put everything under an umbrella like that especially not the latin community exactly speaking of like trump in the twitter sphere i do believe that we want to go ahead and go into uh your favorite segment ricardo mexicano what the hell twitter Yes, the best segment of 2021. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the best podcast segment, that is. Uh, so on Twitter this week, I have two things to share. So my first thing is this really funny, amazing <laughs> video I found that has to deal with. Uh, so apparently in Austin, uh, and as I like research it more, apparently Austin had a uh, public access television center, which, you know, makes sense, you know, back in the, in the 90s. I don't know how long this was going on for. You know, but apparently in the late 90s, this girl named Tiffy, who was hosting this show called Raw Time, you know, R-A-W-T-I-N, Raw Time. Yeah, uh -huh. two words. And if you watch the clip, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to like insert or anything because it's kind of graphic, but it seemed like it was like a, 
like a show you would call into and request like a certain song, right? Uh-huh. And just by her like appear- Delilah style, right? And just by her appearance and some of the songs that were being requested by the by the viewers of the show, it sounds like they catered more toward like punk, hardcore punk, you know, CBGB's type of uh, Green Day, yeah, yeah, type of era, you know, very, very well, not even Green Day. I think most of it sounded like more underground, kind of obscure stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the funniest part comes when <laughs> there's some people. You know, this is going to happen. This even happens to this day. When you give people the freedom to call in and you're like airing this on TV, people are going to like try to say some wild stuff, right? Just if, you, if you're if you an imaginative person, you could probably think of some of the stuff they were saying to her. But she was taking it like, like a champ, you know? She would kind of like just make either like a little remark or, you know, try to like combat, combat the, uh, the, the whatever they said to her and just kind of keep it moving. But if, uh, if you have a chance, go on Twitter and just uh, search Raw Time public access austin 1999 you'll find it and it's like a good minute of just laughing at people just being savages <laughs> to this poor this like i said she probably didn't mind it but just to this poor hostess of this you know this low budget public access call-in punk show but it's such a interesting era like i've i know i've gone on youtube before and like watch like old clips of like old public access television from like around the world i swear Nicolo, you're like secretly 70 years old it's freaking yeah. hilarious i've seen it and it'd be some Shit. wild stuff and, it, and it'd be some wild stuff on there like mm-hmm. it'd be some like funny funny stuff some weird stuff too so it's kind of interesting to see a clip like this resurface and go viral on twitter well i wouldn't say viral but it had a little moment to where i found somebody retweeted it and that's how i found it and the next thing i want to talk about this blasphemous <laughs> of post that i saw where people have the audacity to compare Michael Jackson and Lord. Lord like Great Gatsby Lord? So how did this all get started? The first post I saw was somebody was like, I can't believe this has to be said. So they're pretty much trying to make a point that Michael Jackson is better than Lord by every stretch of the imagination. And then I kind of start going a little bit deeper into the rabbit hole. I start going into the like the retweets, start going to the replies. I try to see like, all right, who was saying this, you know? I think one of my replies was like, I true. I think one of the replies I put was, I don't believe that these tweets are actually real. I feel like this was created by some intelligent AI in another dimension, and it's just shooting it over here. Who would actually try to compare Michael Jackson with Lord? And you know me, I'm not even like that big a fan of Michael Jackson. I think he's kind of problematic, but I just think that the comparison is hilarious and ludicrous at best. It is incredible. Like, okay, so I'm looking at it right now. So apparently one of the tweets that kind of like sparked all of this off was somebody was saying that Melodrama, which was Laura's last album, is better than anything MJ ever dropped. Mm. And I'm like, how? And like, like I said, one of my replies was me saying, I refuse to believe that the media, that, that the mere idea of this comparison crossed the conscious human being's mind. Yeah. Like, I refuse to believe that somebody's sitting there like, you know what? You know what? I, you know what's an unpopular opinion I have that probably should remain unpopular because it is? Mm-hmm. Uh, that Lord is better than Michael Jackson, and I'm like, those are seriously people that are trying to take uh makeup takes so quote unquote hot or so quote unquote ridiculous that they're gonna get retweeted by just how like stupid they are. Like if you can't make an intelligent point, then the next best thing to do is make up a point so ridiculous that people on the internet can't help but argue with you that's the game baby boy and that's what they're trying to do i do believe that Mm -hmm. you know you know without a shadow of a doubt but you gotta realize too vettel these fan bases are crazy they're serious they're unironic they're not being ironic the lord the lord ladies are out here the lord fan base is really out here like like just go you just go to this post i'm at right now 
and the replies. You can just look at their account, their their handle. Yeah. And their Avi. It's just like one's called Lord February. And the person replied, Lord ended that corpse. I don't care what anyone says. That's wow. what they said. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. they said, and somebody else uh, commented, at least uh, somebody was like, I'm glad you decided to openly come out of the dumbass. I responded to that tweet. And then somebody replied to that person, at least we have a concert to go to. Look at you getting into fights here with other 13-year-olds. No, that wasn't, no, that wasn't me. That was somebody else. Oh, I thought you said that you had replied to it. No, no, no. Somebody replied, I'm glad you decided to openly come out of the dumbass. That was somebody. And then somebody oh, replied. Oh, okay, okay. I thought that was some, you. I was like, dang, you can, you can hear spicy with the underage girls. Shit. No, please don't ever say that sentence. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Play, play that back when you sober up and you'll be able to hear how, how wrong it sounds out of yeah, context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. <laughs> But yeah, um, Lord fans on Twitter, y'all are insane. Uh, y'all probably just insane to the K-pop stands. Don't, don't, don't come for our, for the artists that we love like that, man. Like, uh, y'all need to really step away from these these legends because there are very few people that can touch MJ. And Lord, in my opinion, is probably one of the farthest at this point. Mm-hmm. So that's all I have to say. So yeah. yeah, what what the hell, Twitter? And along with some other things that were trending in Twitter this week that I got super excited about, let's just take a moment here to relish one of our queens here on the In Living Spanglish uh, podcast. That is the famed Issa Rae, who is wrapping up season five of Insecure, right? Uh, but she has not been resting on her laurels. Instead, of she's been working on some new shit, a new series called Rap Shit that's going to premiere on HBO Max. Now, apparently, Rap Shit is going to be about two estranged high school friends from Miami that form a rap group. These, along with Issa Rae, have a lot of prominent producers and writers from series such as like The Black Lady Sketch Show and Central Park. And I'm really, really excited about this show because you know how much I don't stand anyone. Again, what did I tweet out the other day is that I need to do a Big Brother parody. And if it except instead of yay to Hove, it would be me serenading to Issa Rae because I'm so excited for her and I'm so excited for this new shit of rap shit because I know it's going to be my shit all puns intended yeah I'm actually uh, really excited you know of course it's Issa I'm a really big fan of her so I'm glad that she's behind another project after Insecure you know Pope's Insecure yes you know but also I'm I'm excited for the storyline because I think Mm -hmm. if I heard this is both this is loosely based on uh, City Girls and Mm -hmm. how they formed you know uh, you know shout out JT and shout out uh, Young Miami but uh, apparently it's supposed to be kind of based on their lives because they're from mm-hmm. Miami. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and how they formed. So I'm excited to see the the series and just how it uh, turns out. Exactly, exactly. And I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm so proud and excited for her, you know, just like, I know that whatever project she works behind, it's always going to be something really esteemed. So I'm like hella hyped for it. Another thing that we saw on the internet is that we did see that Dave Chappelle actually got back his license in his show for Netflix from Netflix. So earlier on in the year, I think back in 2020, there was those, this whole discrepancy about the fact that the Chappelle show was on Netflix. The only problem was is that comedy central right had basically sold it off to netflix without chappelle's permission because chappelle had given up the rights for it when he was younger basically under like faulty not a faulty contract like that's a a contract that chappelle felt he had to sign when he was younger in order to get the money you and i i mean let's just be real we don't know a whole lot about this industry but all we know is that a, a 
like a person's got to eat when they got to eat, you know, and when you're young and you need money and a big corporate company is like offering you a lot of cash in order for you to sign some papers off of your creative project, you're going to do what you got to do. And that's what Chappelle did. When he signed his rights over to the Chappelle show, Comedy Central then sold it to Netflix. And this basically meant that Chappelle didn't get any of the money for it. Since then, since then, people have rallied together. They stopped watching the Chappelle show. And so much so where Netflix went ahead and they called Chappelle back. They paid him off. They gave him the license. They gave him the title. And basically, Chappelle owns his own work again. His, he owns his own show. And he got paid millions of dollars. So, I mean, that's good to hear. And you're going to be able to see the Chappelle show on Netflix really soon with the rightful owner attached to it. It was great that he's finally getting uh, his just dues after year and a year of the battle with Comedy Central. I mean, I mean that was the main reason why the Chappelle left in the first place with all the uh, the money and kind of like the creative um, restrictions that were putting on Chappelle, you know, mm-hmm. and why he ultimately left the show and you know moved to uh, Africa for a while before you know coming back and making you know another another dent in the industry. But yeah, that's great. I'm glad that he's finally getting his uh, the money he's owed that he's always been owed. Uh, do you know if Neil Brennan is getting anything? Isn't he like, wasn't he the co-creator along with yeah, Chappelle? Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, so yeah. And he wrote a lot of the, uh, like a lot of the sketches that you, that we know. Mm-hmm, uh, exactly. But, but back in the day, you know, it was an agreement between both of them where they didn't let people know who wrote what sketch. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just worked like that. Uh, so I wonder if he gets any money out of the show finally being in uh, in Dave's control. I hope he does, you know, like I said, because they, they help create that show from the ground up yeah i'm really excited i mean i have like the box dvd of the first season so i love the Chappelle show just because it's a lot of like really strong inspiration for me for like you know things that you know you really want to do one day when you think about like race and satire and things like that he was one of those people that really made a headway for it and um, I think that what he went through kind of serves as a cautionary tale, you know, like shit that can really happen to anybody who's just starting up in the entertainment in the, in the entertainment business because people forget that second part of that phrase. It's a business that means that, you know, you have to read what you sign. You have to weigh your pros and cons, you know, along. You have to know what you're sacrificing at the end of the day. In the last little bit that we had going around in the Twitter sphere is uh, some news about our man, D. Glover. So Donald Glover is actually said to be starring in a reboot of all things, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yes, that is the movie with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Yeah, it was a very shocking And sh- random. Like, choice? did you think of anything random? I mean, uh, random for us, obviously, they know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, I, I hope that, that Mr. Glover, <laughs> that's kind of weird saying that, that Donald had a good vision for what this is supposed to be. Oh, this is going to be motherfucking hilarious. And you know how I know? Why? Because the person co-starring him mm-hmm. is going to be Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is actually the star of anybody who watches Amazon Prime will know her as uh, the lady who stars in Fleabag. So it's the lady who stars in Fleabag along with Donald Glover. There is no way that this is not going to be very tongue-in-cheek, very, very hilarious. So, like, Donald, so Donald wasn't in Fleabag as well? No, he wasn't in Fleabag. Oh, okay, okay. But like Fleabag, basically Fleabag is an Amazon Prime show, and it's uh, and it's more or less like 
a woman that falls in love with a Catholic priest, and it's it has a lot of like UK British humor where you know, it's very sarcastic. It's it, it's kind of vulgar in a sense, and I just I feel like her sense of humor, along with Donald Glover's kind of stark and satirical sense of humor. It will lend itself very well if they want to take a really creative take on Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So I was not excited until I saw who he was co-starring with. And now, I'm not going to lie, I'm kind of hyped. Yeah, because literally all all it is that, that announced that this is happening was an Instagram story. Mm-hmm. And like they were dancing to Put Your Head on My Shoulder by, by Paul Anka. Yeah. And that was it. And yeah, like, which was super random. Yeah, and I'm over here thinking like, and I don't know if it's going to be, like, I've never seen Fleabag, so I don't know if they're going to go into the direction of, like, it being a comedy. we got to get you to marathon it a little bit, yeah. I'm not going to watch it at yeah, all. Yeah, no, 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 you're going to see, you're going to see. But anyway, yes. But, um, yeah, I don't know if they're going to take it in a co- comedic direction, if they're going to keep it more, uh, like, suave and slick, but still have, mm-hmm. like, that, that funny funniness in it. I just think kinda, that's what it's going to be. Just kind of how, like, the original Mr. And Smith, Mr. and Mrs. Smith was, because it was, like, really, it was really sexy, it was really smooth, but they had, like, their little funny moments in it. Of course, Angelina is not really a funny a co- it's actress. It's not a comedian. Angelina not. is not Brad a Pitt, comedian. Brad Pitt can do funny. He, yeah. he can do funny for sure. He's very versatile. He yeah, but be, he's not Donald Glover, but yeah. He's not Donald Glover, but, but I've never really seen, outside of Community, Donald has never really been, you know, he had a lot of those funny characters. He had characters. a stand-up special. He I'm, had I'm, Weirdo I'm about, on Netflix. I'm talking about actress, a- actor, actor-wise. Yeah. I'm saying he never, he never tried, he never portrayed outside of, outside of Troy that that funny, funny character. What I'm saying is that I'm sure that he can write funny, and if he can be part of a project that like he can be, he can have a collaboration with in order that to like create the character that the way that he wanted to. It's going to be like a satire kind of funny, and like Phoebe Waller Bridge is already funny on her own. So I feel like this Mister and Mister and Miss Smith, as random as it seems, could be really hilarious take on. Like what we traditionally see as like a sexy action movie, so I'm actually really yeah. excited about it. And I think that's probably what's supposed to be because one of the, like the the top tweets I saw regarding this project was Mister the original Mister Mister Smith with Angelina and Brad Pitt was a very sexy film. Mm-hmm. This starring Donald Glover and Phoebe Waller, it sounds like there's nothing sexy about it. Y'all nothing. can keep y'all can keep this. No, they were like mad at it. I'm saying they were mad. The tweet was like. Y'all can keep this. Why you guys gotta have everything sexy, you yeah. horn dogs? Like sometimes shit just be funny for the sake of being funny. I don't know. Like I said, some I guess some people really I didn't I didn't realize there were that many Mr. and Mrs. Smith fans. I know. I remember watching the fans I, are coming out. I, I I watched that movie like years ago. I thought it was cool, but you couldn't probably pay me to watch it again. I know. Well, no, you could. You probably give me ten dollars. I'll probably watch it again. Yeah, with you. yeah. But like, I, I don't think I've ever seen it all the way. It's cool. Like it's a cool movie. Like it was like a different take on like a spy film. Mm-hmm. It was nice, but like. I haven't seen it since like twenty two thousand seven. Well, I'm gonna catch this, and I know I just have a gut feeling that I'm gonna love it, so I'm really excited about it. Uh, next up, what we have on the docket is gonna be good looking out. So this is our last uh, segment of the show where we go ahead and we give you our takes on uh, whatever new movies, new TV shows we are watching, we are catching this week. This week, Ricardo Mexicano here wants to go ahead and start us off with his take on. You already know what you already know what it is, man. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's the vibe. It's, it's it's Valentine's Day, and you already know your boycott to all the boys I love, always and forever. That's right, the final installment to the all up to the all the boys I love series. So if you're up on game, if you know this story, if you know, you know. if you know, you know Laura Jean Covey, you know Covey, Peter Kavinsky. 
PK. You know, you already know what it, y'all know the vibes. Like this, this is really what would be on the, around this time. And to know that it's it finally ended sucks because the book is actually the book series is actually over as well. So at the moment, there's nothing else coming after this. For people who have never, like myself, up until a week ago, who have never seen the To All the Boys I've Loved Before series, what is what is this series about? Oh, it's pretty much about, like, so this girl named Laura Jean Covey, uh, she's your typical girl in high school that is a, is a hopeless romantic. And she's very hopeless in the sense that you can tell that she is stuck in a very ant- ant- antiquated sense of expressing her love and by that i mean writing letters to people that she had crushes on when she was a lot younger if you've never seen it i don't really want to give too much away other than that just know that uh, these love letters are are a uh a big sense of and this is this is mainly in the first movie it's a big sense of commotion for her and but because of like because, because of her and the letters and what happens you know in the movie it, it kind of shows her evolution and her being able to finally express her um, true sense of like what she wants out of love. Yeah. Okay. And so this is a rom-com trilogy that you, Ricardo Mexicano, the hip hop head in the history buff of this mm-hmm. uh, in Living Spanglish podcast uh, is absolutely obsessed with, you know, you, you, you stand for Laura Jean Covey and her love oh, life. Yeah. Yeah, I want to. I want to see her win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like, for like, sure. like, like her and like Peter. You know, they're. they're I want to say goals. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Because you know. Exactly. And so, what did you think about the last installment? Did it? Uh, did it fulfill like your expectations? Did it round out the story the way that you wanted it to? Yeah, yeah. I think it definitely did because you it, in the in, in the start of the film we get to the point where a lot of rom coms would usually touch on where it's like the it's the end of high school. People are making their separate plans, college, jobs, whatever, you know, and you also have a lot of, you know, can this love survive being far away from you? You know, can we make it work? And I think it plays both sides to where it's like, it's very, it's very movie-like, of course. It's very Mm, cinematic, very very cinematic, very fantasy. Like this could only happen on the silver screen (laughs) kind of thing. But I think it was also very, I think it had a good balance of, very real moments that people generally go through and that you know as much as you have because Laura Jean is this person that is very optimistic and and you know she is the she's very much the love conquers all type of girl but in I think almost every film towards the end you kind of see that that maturity in her where she kind of realizes and she comes to that point where she's like you know as much as I thought about love at this point I realize it's not that so Mm -hmm. I need to learn how to deal with that and just mm-hmm. because there is some blockage and some row bumps along the way, that doesn't mean that we can't make this work, uh, at least until the time being, you know, because things may end, but we won't know if we don't try. Yeah. Oh, so, my God. See, and I know that you're trying to say all of this without, like, giving any spoilers. It's just hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, like I said, if you've never seen it, like, you know, definitely watch it. It's very entertaining. It's a funny film. It's How very lighthearted. How many Ricardo stars does it get? This last one, I would say I like it better. So, I would say the first one is definitely a classic. I would give the first... Like, let me just rate all three just okay. off the back. First okay. one so of all four, the boys I love before trilogy, Ricardo those stars. Going yeah. now. This is out of five. Yeah. First one, four out of five. Uh-huh. Second one, second one, 2.5. Okay. And the third one, a three. 
Wow. Okay. Okay. All right. So there I think the second one's the weakest, to yeah. be honest. Like, there's a lot of good moments, but it do- but it then also has that charm of number one, where it's like so so cute and so overwhelmingly like <laughs> like you You're know hilarious. Like that's what I love. Like you're talking to a guy who loves rom com anime. Yeah, you and are rom- a sucker for rom coms. Yeah, we know. I love it. Rom-coms- you had to convince me to watch to all the boys I've loved before. Yeah, what I'm saying. So like, like this is this is my my bread and butter. Yeah. Of like of like you know You're I don't jam believe in and jelly. Yeah, I don't believe in guilty pleasures, so I just love this thing. Yes, you know? yes. You know, I yes. watch it. I watch and it. And I day. will say that like when you convinced me to watch these and sit down and watch these with you, at first I thought it was gonna be some like cheesy thing where like I would roll my eyes every ten minutes, but you know what? It was charming as fuck, and I was really surprised about it. And the thing about it is, is that like even through the sappier moments, it was like laced with a sort of realness where like it touched like the inner I, I hopeful in me where like I, I watched certain scenes with Laura Jean and like her crushes and things like that, that genuinely made my heart flutter. And I was like, oh, you know, uh, so yeah, like if there's any uh, advocacy I can give for this trilogy that you, Ricardo, the hopeless romantic out of the two of us, are is obsessed with, I would say that I support you in your decision. It's a very good series. Would you give it a three out of five? I this? would actually give it a four out of five. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. This one, this this one in particular. Yeah, I I loved all three of them. All three that you forced me watch to watch this week. So yes. So yeah, that that that's to all the boys I love. You know, mm-hmm. so, you know, shout out. Laura G, shout out to uh, Laura G, P- what's her LJ name? and PK forever and ever. What's her What's her real name? Uh, I don't know what the actress's name is. Lo- That's uh, on you, baby boy. She She has a She has a real name. Well, yeah, obviously she has a real oh, name. Yeah. But uh, God, I feel so bad that I can't remember her name right now. And mm-hmm. I think another thing I really want to touch on really quick, so we we need to move into yours, is really how much development some of the background, like the side characters, get, mm-hmm. like from like her friend Chris to Genevieve, like her former friend. To, uh, oh yeah, I loved her development. Original boyfriend, friend, yeah. and, but if you notice, this movie is have, stars an Asian girl, and I haven't mentioned the race at all, which I think is is a compliment to the movie as like these stories can apply to everyday because people. Because this movie, yeah, this movie, it's just a good story. It was not a deliberate. Oh, let's make this an Asian American story. You know, it was just mm-hmm. a story about love. My good looking out for this week, Judas in the Black Messiah. Now. This movie, I have literally been counting down the days since uh, for about like a month or two now. Ever since I heard that my man, you know, my baby boy, Lakeith Stanfield was going to be on it. And I don't think people know that about you. Yes. So you need to explain it. Okay, so Lakeith Stanfield, you know, if you know him, you know that he he plays in Atlanta. He is one of the main leads in Judas and the Black Messiah. And uh, this movie basically, along with Lakeith Stanfield, it also stars uh, Daniel Kaluuya, who was also part of Get Out. And he himself, he plays Fred Hampton. Basically, Judas and the Black Messiah, this movie was about the murder of Fred Hampton. So, like, back in the 1960s, uh, black when the, the Black Panther Party was very, very prominent, Lakeith Stanfield plays an FBI informant called Bill O'Neill, basically infiltrates the Black Panther Party to believe that he's one of them. He, I mean, historically, I'm not giving you any spoilers because, you know, this is just history, is that he ends up ousting Fred uh, Fred Hampton to the point where Fred Hampton eventually gets murdered. And it's basically just 
the uh, background story on all of that and how it happens. And I have to tell you that every time I think that Lakeith has hit a, fe a ceiling with his acting or that I'm going to be able to expect what he is going to bring to a role, he always surprises the hell out of me. So, Stanfield, he outdid himself. Kaluuya? Okay, so I'm gonna get out of the story here for a second and just tell you how hot, how freaking, like, hit, that, that boy's got a body on him, a body on him on this movie. And so, his role as Fred Hampton is particularly well, like, just everyone in this movie in general, the acting is supreme. The storytelling is really good. And I feel like one of the most powerful things about this movie is if any of you watched One Night in Miami, which came out a couple of weeks ago on an Amazon Prime, one of my biggest gripes, not gripes, but one of the biggest things that I noticed about One Night in Miami is that me as a Mexican-American and as someone that was not super well-versed in at the very least the lives of uh, Jim Brown and Sam Cooke, third so much in this movie that I didn't know before in One Night in Miami. And I felt very similar uh, in regards to Judas and the Black Messiah. So Judas and the Black Messiah just being about, you know, Bill O'Neill, like uh, Sandfield's character, infiltrating Fred Hampton's operation with the Black Panther Party. If you're not familiar with, you know, the FBI's assassin assassination and basically straight up murder of Fred Hampton, then this is one of those movies where you go into and then you leave out just knowing so much more than you did before and not only that but also leaving the movie wanting to do your own research and that's the powerful thing about it it's not like and I have my gripes of, of, about movies like uh Dear White People where it almost seems like you know those those movies and those tv shows it feels like they're almost talking down they're almost made to explain a certain thing to white people. You know, they're, it's like black movies made for white audiences. Thanks, and One Night in Miami, who was produced by Regina King, and uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, they have the exact opposite feel of that. They have this feel of, this is our history, this is what happened, and we're going to tell our story, and... If you watch this and by the end of it, you're interested enough to go learn more, you have to go and do your own fucking research, you know, because we're not going to talk down to you and we're not going to break things down for you. You, you are going to, if you care enough, you're going to take your own liberty to go and go and seek out the knowledge and learn. You know, we're just going to present you the information, you know, how it is. And from an artistic standpoint and from a historical standpoint, this movie was beautiful. And honestly, like it makes me want to pick up a couple of books and like pull up some articles and do some research and learn more about the Black Panther Party, which I have very, very basic knowledge of. And again, I feel like Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya, they outdid themselves in these performances the soundtrack was amazing i would definitely definitely watch it again and for black history month i feel like it's it's definitely a piece of art that you can watch without feeling cheesy about watching so yes i give it a solid like eight and a half out of ten veronica stars i absolutely loved it
And there you go. And that rounds it out. Our Good Looking Out segment along with the third episode of season two of In Living Spanglish podcast. If you guys uh, stuck around this long, we want to say we love you. We love you. We love you. We're slightly drunk, but we love you anyway. And happy Valentine's Day. We out. I'm not drunk.